Sunday. Good morning. It's Resurrection Sunday. You guys excited to be here? Come on. You got to get excited. (laughs) How many of you guys, I don't know if it's it's true or not, how many are just like just getting to church right now and you thought it was like 9 a.m. still and we just, we fully tricked you this morning, yeah? You're like, that's the last thing I need. We tricked you. Some people are rolling in, 9 o'clock. Watch when they roll in. We can all just like kind of laugh. (laughs) We know you didn't. You didn't get the memo. Anyways, um, welcome to church. Welcome to Hope Chapel, Kaneohe Bay. It is Easter Sunday. This is the biggest day of the year for us, isn't it? As Christians, I mean, if you're a Christian and you know Jesus, this is it. Because here's the deal. Anybody could have said, I'm your Lord and Savior, and I'm going to die for you. And they went to the cross, and all that happened. And they could have, and they should have, and they probably would have stayed dead. But not Jesus, right? Jesus knew that Sunday was coming, that resurrection came. The guy said he was going to die and resurrect, and he actually pulled it off. That's a person worth following right there. Amen? Not many other people can pull that one off. And so that's why he's my Lord. That's why he's my Savior. That's why he's changed my life, and I hope that he's changed yours as well. And we're going to talk about that ridiculous love here this morning. Um, I think this is a good word for you. This is something God put on my heart. And I I feel he wants us to know how much he loves us. And um, we're going to talk about ridiculous love. But I want to talk about something else that is ridiculous love, and that is the ridiculous love that we have for our pets. Who's a pet owner in here right now? I just want to talk about this for a minute because there's some stuff that we do with our pets that is ridiculous, okay? It's like they're animals that usually are wild and belong outside, but we've domesticated them. We've put them in our houses, and we go to great lengths to show how much we love these little furry creatures, right? Little, big, whatever they are. But sometimes it's a little bit overboard. I mean, it's bad enough that we follow them around and let them do their business in the yard, but then we literally, with plastic bags, pick it up, bag it for them, and throw it away, right? Like, no one does that for me. Like, that's ridiculous, we cook them food. We could buy the bag of food. But I know, like, my, my uncle came home the other day, and he smells like what's cooking in the kitchen. And um, he's like, hey, what's for dinner? And my auntie's like, that's not for you. That's for Chica. And he's like, what? For the dog. She's cooking. She's cutting it all up. She's making it. Well, where's mine? Taco Bell? I don't know. You're on your own, right? We do ridiculous things, but it even goes further than this. How many of you guys maybe, maybe don't admit it, but you've seen it before? Maybe you're guilty of it, of dressing your pets up in clothes. Can we get a picture of this one right here? That's ridiculous love right there. That's ridiculous. You know, the cats are like, and we want to be royal. So dumb. Yeah, but we do it. I'm sorry if you love your cat that much. That's awesome, ridiculous love that you have, but it's, it looks a little ridiculous. What about this one? You ever seen this one before, the pet stroller? Anybody guilty? You got one? Come on. I'm not talking baby stroller that's been converted for pets. This is literally a pet stroller that you buy online, $79.99 for your pets. You poor pet can't walk. You got to push them around, right? Let's take it even a step further. Who's seen this one before? Really? Your dog can't walk for himself? He's tired. I got to backpack him. What? What? Really? That's ridiculous love right there. What about, it goes even further than that. You ever heard of the, the pet and the doggy uh, salons and all of this? Take a look at this. Your dog's getting a massage. I don't even get massages, and you're getting your dog a massage? It's ridiculous, and I want you to think about this. That's in no way speaking against the owners in here, because I know you, you love, people are taking offense right now. They're like, well, you, you judging me because I love my dog and I put a wig on him? No, I'm not judging you. I'm, I'm actually saying this. What an incredible testament to the love 
that you have for these little creatures that honestly, they don't really deserve it. They can't completely earn it. They can't 100% repay you. The amount of love that they can return to you, they're just like, I don't know. I'm just going with it. Whatever. I'm on the backpack right now. I don't, you know, they can't fully deserve it, earn it, or repay it. It's ridiculous how much love we spend on that, but it's, it shows how much love we have. But I want you to hear this this morning, because this is an Easter sermon, and we're going to get into the Bible right now. But I want you to hear this message right here in Romans 5a, where it says, 5, 6 through 8, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love, ridiculous love for us, by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Actually, verse 8 says it really cool in the message version. It says, God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. That's ridiculous love. We are of no use to God. You want to see a real picture of ridiculous love? Take a look at this, because this is what reminds me of ridiculous love. This is what the story of Easter is all about. That's ridiculous love. That someone, Father God, would send his one and only son to be beaten and brutally killed and murdered for us while we are of no use to him whatsoever. I say this many times. It always reminds me of the reality of how much God loves me is God doesn't need us. But God wants us. He loves us. He created us. Here's the story of Christianity. He created mankind so that he could have relationship with us and he could love us. He didn't need to, but he wanted to. He created us. And what happened? Original sin in the Garden of Eden. We turned our back on him. We went our own way. Now, here's the problem. We're separated from God from there on out. Because in God's presence, he's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous. There can be no sin. And we were living in sin, which means living for ourselves. We missed the mark of what God wanted. We decided to do it our own way. So God said, but I love them still. They don't deserve it, but I love them, and I want to reach out to them. So what he did is he sent his son Jesus to die on that cross, to pay the price for our sin so that we could be made righteous and have relationship with him. That's the story of Christianity. That's the story of Easter. That's the story of the the cross, the fact that he went and his love put him there, And then the empty tomb was the power that says, I am God and I can do what I say and I can do it in your life. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about that ridiculous love. You know, the Greek word for this love that God has for us is called agape. And what that means is it's an illogical, unreasonable, selfless, unconditional love that's not based on the other person's um, receiving it or their actions. It's simply, I love you and I choose to do this thing and it doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous love. I want to look at in the story of Easter this morning that we always think, oh, look, the cross and, and the tomb and that's amazing. But I want you to look at the actual personal relationships that Jesus had with these people leading up to the cross and what that he did. Because it's a, a show and a testament of his ridiculous love for us. First of all, as we're looking at this, there's a few different cases of of this ridiculous love that he showed. Number one was he showed ridiculous love to those that deserted him. Now, you got to get this image in your mind. Jesus is going to the the garden of Gethsemane to pray. Hours after this, he's going to be, he's about to be arrested. He's about to be tried unjustly for for things that he never did. He's, He's treated as a guilty man. He wasn't. He goes to the cross. But while he's arrested in the garden, it says this, in Matthew 26, 56, I believe, it says that all of his disciples, his followers, deserted him and fled. Right when he needed them the most, 
his best friends, the 12. There's a lot of people that follow Jesus, but he had the 12, his posse, his crew, his boys. Those guys, right when he needed them most, he gets arrested. And it says all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now, they've been hanging out with Jesus for the past three years. They eat their meals together. They hang out. They go to the different towns. They do ministry together. They're looking at Jesus as their leader, their teacher, their friend. He's possibly even the Messiah from God. And right when he needed them most, they fled. But check this out. Hours before that happened in the garden, he's eating with them in the upper room. The last supper, the last meal. He shows them how to do communion. This is my body broken on that cross in a little while from now. Here's my blood. Do this to remember me. He's telling them to love one another. But you know what he does? Knowing full well ahead of time that his disciples were going to leave them. He's sitting down eating dinner with his closest friends, sitting around looking at him going, you guys are all going to turn your back on me in a few hours from now. You guys are all going to lead me. He knew that was going on. You know what he does before dinner? Gets up from the table, takes the, the robe, the cloth that was wrapped around his waist, he begins to bend down and he starts washing the feet of all of his disciples. The most lowly servant act that you could do. Jesus, the master, the teacher, their friend, their leader, bends down and begins to wash their feet. I want you to think about that in Jewish times, in Bible times, that that, that was the, the job for the lowliest servant. That was the grossest job. Imagine walking around Palestine all day in sandals and sweaty feet and, and, and dirt and all the stuff that you walk through. And you come into a house, friends didn't even do that for each other. That's the servant's job. That's the lowest service job is you go wash everybody's feet as you welcome them to the house. So here's their leader, their master, who bends down for them. And he goes, come, guys, let me just wash your feet real quick. They're just like, wait, wait, we should be doing that for you. In fact, we don't even do that. That's a servant's job. There he is washing their feet. And remember this. As he's washing the feet of the 12, guess who's one of the 12? Judas the one that would literally sell him out that evening, he had to wash Judas's feet. He knew what was going to happen, and he picked the act of a servant. See, how does that speak to me? Oh, well, I would say, well, I don't know if I've, I've ever really deserted God. But what it says is, the times when I feel unworthy, and I've given up, and I want to stop going to church, or, you know, whatever it is that you do, I'm not going to read my word because it doesn't, you know, I'm just going to kind of kick back and take five of Basically, we're like leaving God and what he wants for our lives, right? But God says, no matter how many times you've done that, I still call you worthy. You may feel unworthy, but here's what Jesus did. Ridiculous love to love the unworthy. Here's the second thing that I look about in, at in this story here. Is that Jesus had ridiculous love for those that actually denied him. Luke 22, verse 31 says, at that last supper, he leans over to Simon Peter. Right? You guys know Simon Peter. He says, Simon Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. In other words, Satan has asked to kind of throw you off your game. And what's happening here, he's going to try to rattle your faith. Jesus says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, he's telling him, I've pleaded that you wouldn't fail, but you're going to fail. But when you returned and repented to me, then I have a job for you to do, strengthen your brothers. So Peter's like, wait, what? You're saying I'm going to, I'm going to blow it? Peter says this. Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. In other words, I'm not going to fail my faith in you. Jesus says, but Peter, listen, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus had ridiculous love for people that were ashamed of him, that were to deny him. He knew, Peter, you're going to deny me and be ashamed of me three times before morning comes around. But he believed in him enough to say, 
but I believe in you. So when you repent and turn back to me again, I've got a job for you. I want you to strengthen your brothers. Peter, we know, actually went on to be a pillar in that church of, of Jerusalem and lead many people to Christ, but he blew it that night. Now, we would say, oh, that's not me. I'm not going to deny God. How many of us, if we think about it, we've, we've been ashamed of God at certain times. Sometimes maybe it's even coming in here this morning and everybody's singing and raising their hands and that's weird. I don't know about that. I'm just, I'm not going to do that. You know what that is? That's a little bit, to say, say the truth is, we're a little bit ashamed to get real with God, to really give him our, our all. Have you ever been ashamed of someone? I was ashamed of God. Seventh grade, I moved to Hawaii from California. My dad came over to plant a church. He's a pastor. I, I was the new kid on the block. I didn't know anybody. Dropped into Kailua Intermediate School. Literally didn't know anybody. I was popular, cool kid back in my own town or whatever, my school in California. Come into seventh grade. Plus, seventh grade is seventh grade, and seventh grade is horrible, right? Anybody? Seventh grade is like acne. It's puberty. It's like, oh, voice cracking. It's like hormones. It's like the whole insecurity. You know, it's all of that. And here I am, and in my little insecure seventh grade brain, there's a couple things that were important to me. One of them was I got tested for academics or whatever, and I was found to be smart enough to go into the GT program, you know? And in my head, though, the GT program wasn't cool because it wasn't cool to be smart. If you're smart in here, no offense. That's awesome that you're smart. I'm saying when I was seventh grade and insecure and freaking out, I wanted to be in the cool crowd, which was like the surfers and the skateboarders and the whatever. And for some reason, that wasn't the smart crowd. Now, if you can pull both of those off, awesome, more power to you. I'm just saying, for me, I, I wanted to go this way. So I went into those classes. And you know what I did? As I dumbed it down. And I got bad grades on purpose, and I acted up, and I screwed around because I was so insecure that I was ashamed to be smart, to be in the nerd herd. Are you guys getting me right there? I'm just, that's, that's me, not you. I'm not putting that on you. Just saying in my head, that was how I felt at the, other, at the time. Here's the other thing I was ashamed of. I was ashamed to actually be known as a Christian. I actually denied God a couple of times. I actually was ashamed that I didn't own up to him. A couple people asked me, oh, what does your dad do? And I said, uh, he works over there in that office building. Church office was in the office building in Kailua at the time. Oh, where's your dad work? Uh, Polly Palms Plaza. Oh, yeah, that's an office building. What does he do? Uh, I don't know, he's office stuff. No. You know I did? I denied that my dad's a pastor, that I was a Christian. People would ask me, hey, you go to church? You're a Christian? And in my head, wrong. Oh, I don't want to be a churchy boy. I don't want to be a goody-goody. I don't want to be that. That's, that doesn't give me street cred. I want to be in the cool crowd. And what happened was I denied God a couple of times in that year. And I remember that. It hurt me for a long time. I felt the guilt of that. And what I believe, though, that God absolutely forgave me already. And proof of it is right here when he goes, Simon, you're going to deny me and you're going to be ashamed of me. But when you've returned and repented and come back to me, I still believe in you and I've got a job for you. You go and you strengthen your brothers. I believe that God when I was in the seventh grade, said the same thing because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Carl, I know what you're going to do. I know you're going to deny me with your little seventh grade puberty embraces. I know you're going to go do that. But he goes, you know what? There's going to come a point when you're going to turn around and come back to me and be proud of me. And I got plans for you. I'm actually going to grow you up and you're going to speak my word boldly and proclaim it to people. You're actually going to be a pastor. That's the ridiculous love that God has for us, no matter what we've done to be ashamed of him or to betray or to deny him. Are you guys hearing me this morning? This is heavy stuff. Here's the other thing is Jesus actually loved those who betrayed him. In the garden, if you remember at the arrest, you know the one that turned them over, him over to the religious authorities was one of his own, 
was one of his boys. The guy that he'd been hanging out with for the past three years was Judas. And Judas comes to him in the garden. Jesus knows what's going down. He knows what's about to happen. He knows that it's Judas that's coming to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And Judas walks up to him to greet him with a kiss because he told the other priest, hey, the guy that I greet with a kiss, that's Jesus. You guys can get him. That's the symbol. So he comes up. He greets Jesus with a kiss. First words out of Jesus' mouth are this, friend, do what you've come to do. At the very moment of the worst betrayal of your life, when someone you trust in and you believe and you've been hanging out with comes and betrays you to your face and you know what's happening, my human heart, man, there's a lot of other F words that it would be going through my mind about calling that brother Judas right then and there. Are you guys hearing me on that one? I'm just being real with you. I'm not trying to make light of it. That's betrayal at its worst. You know what the word betray means? It means to hurt someone who trusts you by not giving help or by doing something morally wrong. Jesus loved Judas enough to call him friend to his face while he's in the act of betraying him to the religious authorities. That's heavy. And we say, oh, this isn't a sermon for me. I would never betray God like that. You know what? If the, if the definition is to, to hurt someone who trusts you, almost on a daily basis, I do something or say something dumb that is basically betraying God's best for my life. When he goes, Carl, here's how I want you to live and here's how I want you to act. And I decide, now nah, I'm going to go ahead and do it my own way. That's a form of betrayal. This is a message for all of us, guys. This isn't the, the whole, that's something for people that don't know God. That's for those of us that know him. It's a reminder that Jesus loves those that betray him. He still has love for you and me. We've never done anything so bad that God's going to stop loving us, and we need to learn to live in that love every single day. Here's the last thing that I see that's amazing about in the Easter story about Jesus, is that he loved those that didn't even believe in him. When they came to arrest him in the garden, if you guys remember this, they came to arrest him, and who's arresting him is the high priest and the religious leaders. It's what should be Jesus' own people that stand for God, but they're threatened by Jesus and losing control of their religious authority. So they come to do him in. So they show up, and one of the high priest's servants is a, is a guy named Malchus, right? And Malchus comes to arrest Jesus. Peter stands up, gets all mad, takes out the sword, and Malchus is in the wrong place at the wrong time. Peter swings, and Malchus's ear gets chopped off. Dunk right? That's not really a good sound effect of an ear. I don't know what it would sound like, but his ear gets chopped off. It says so in scripture. And now here's the ridiculous love of Jesus Christ to the people that are coming to not believe in him. They're against him. They're his enemies. They're coming to take him to that cross. Here's what Jesus does. Peter, relax, put the sword away, picks up the ear. He puts it back on the side of Malchus's head, and it says he healed him supernaturally. He fixed the ear. Now, this is the person that's against you, that doesn't believe in you, that is arresting you. And here's Jesus' ridiculous love to God. Nah, I'm going to heal you because I love you that much. Malchus had to walk around the rest of his life hearing out of both sides of his head, feeling that ear that he remembers at one time was chopped off and fell off. When he came to arrest that man and to put him on the cross, that very man is the one that supernaturally healed his ear. And Malchus had to deal with that the rest of his life. Here's an interesting thing, is that later on in the book of Acts, just weeks after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, it says that many of the high priests and religious leaders converted to Christianity. I know it doesn't say it in scripture, but I got a tendency to think that Malchus is probably one of the first in line to say, I get it, I'm all in, I believe. That dude, I came to arrest him, he was my enemy, I was against him, I didn't believe in him. 
He loved me enough to supernaturally hear me. I'm living proof of the ridiculous love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Then check this out. On the cross, as he's being murdered, he's watching all these Roman officials and these soldiers. They're mocking him. They've spit on him. They've whipped him. They've beaten him. They've put nails in his, his wrists and his, his feet. And he's hanging on that cross, thorn of crowns, the whole deal. What does he do for his enemies? I wouldn't, I wouldn't even want to be thinking about my enemies at that point. What does he do? He prays to the Father. He's hanging up there, and he goes, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How crazy is that, that he's actually loving and praying for his murderers that are currently killing him right now? See, here's what you got to understand about this ridiculous love of Jesus Christ. None of us ever has been or ever will be beyond the reach and beyond the grace of his redemption and his forgiveness and his ridiculous love for us. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done, what you will do. There is a very real God that says Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for all that. He has ridiculous love. How do I know that? Well, John 3.16, one of our favorite verses, tells us that. It says, for this is how God loved the world. Stop on that right there because we tend to think, God loved people that are going to repent and turn to him. It doesn't say that. It doesn't qualify it with nice guys. It qualifies it by saying God loved the entire world. He loves the sinners. He loves the people that do wrong. He loves the people that speak ill against him. He loves the atheists, the agnostics. God loves those that don't even believe in him. Here's the thing about God is God believes in you whether you believe in him or not. And he'll wait. He's reaching out. That's the story of Christianity is he's reaching out because he believes in you. He loved the entire world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Here's the bottom line today, guys. His love is so ridiculous for us, we'd be ridiculous to refuse it. We'd be ridiculous to turn away from this love that says, I'm for everybody. I want everybody in. I'm reaching out. No matter if you've denied him, you've been ashamed of him, you've betrayed him, you don't even believe in him. God's going, my love is that ridiculous that I want you and that I love you. And if you come close to my love, I can change your life. You know what he says in scripture? This is the thing that gets me. When we become Christians and we believe in Jesus Christ, we begin to follow him. He says, we're his own, ki- his own kids, his own children. He treats us like that. The other night, I got into a fight with my kids. I got into it. We got into a brawl. Not a fist fight, because I don't do that. But anybody you ever fight with your family? Your kids? Yeah, right. Just me, right? Thanks. Awesome. Need to take some lessons from you guys over here. But I got into it with my kids. And we were beefing. And I was scolding my my 17-year-old and my 14-year-old because they were picking on the 7-year-old. And I was telling them, that's not cool. And you got to have some grace. And she's only 7. And no one was allowed to treat you guys like that when you were 7. And, you know, like, let's all be friends and family. But we were, our voices were raised. And we were, rah, 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 you know, we were, we were throwing it down. And, and tempers were flaring, and we were getting mad. And in the midst of it, though, I realized, because my, my kids were kind of going, well, you're mad at us, and this and that. And I didn't want them to get the wrong impression. In the midst of being angry, I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You guys got to understand this. I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this because this is not right, and I want you to be better than this. I want this family. We're going to be better than this. We're going to love each other. And I know you might be mad at me right now, and I'm mad at you, but I don't want you to ever think that, that this is going to hurt the relationship at all. And I just started feeling like from the heart, I need to tell them that I love them. I don't want them to freak out right now because things were getting a little bit tense, right? I said, look, 
Isaac, I love you, and I love your heart, and I love how you help, and I love to go surfing with you, and I love, I was just personalizing, and I just felt like I got to let him know that no matter what happens, I still love him, and I'm starting to tear up a little bit, you know, like, oh, what's going on, man? I was yelling, and now I'm like crying, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, and I'm telling my daughter, Kyla, I love your creativity. I love that you you worship God. I love that, that we have the same sense of humor, and I love that I see you trying with your little, and then she starts crying, and I start crying, and there's probably a couple hugs that were going down, and it would have been a perfect time for me to pray as a pastor. Let's just seal this with the Lord. But I didn't. I'm not that good yet. I'm a work in progress. It would have been so, in hindsight, I'm going, I should have just prayed right there. That would have been spiritually powerful. I would have been great. But I'm not that good yet. I'm a work in progress. But here's what I wanted them to get, is that no matter what you do and what you have done, no matter what happens in life, I'm always going to love you because I'm your dad and you're my kids. I don't care what you do to betray me to deny me, to be ashamed of me, to not believe that I love you, I still will always love you because that stuff hurts. And you don't need to, you need to know that I'm always going to be there for you. Here's the deal. God has ridiculous love for us that would call us his own kids. No matter what we've done to him, no matter what we still will do to him, he says, I love you. I love you with ridiculous, unconditional, illogical, unreasonable, agape, selfless love. And all you got to do is respond to that. Stay in my love. Get close to my love. Get to know him. Read his word. Hear his promises that are true. Seek his Holy Spirit to give you guidance. I'm a better pastor today because of God moving in my life. I'm a better husband. I'm a better uh, father. I'm a better friend. All that I do in my life is better because I've tasted the ridiculous love of Jesus Christ. And I'd be ridiculous to refuse it. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your ridiculous love for us that put you to the cross. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you, Father God, for the hope of our future and the times that we have fallen and that we will fall and that you still love us. Lord, help us to live in that love every single day and to remain there. Lord, I pray right now for anybody that's never even taken up that that offer of ridiculous love in their lives. Maybe you came here today and you just, something clicked and you just kind of get it. For whatever reason, you feel like God's talking and he's not against you. He's not mad at you. He's not going to take it out on you. He's actually just trying to make your life better and he's trying to love you. No matter what you could do or have done, he's there for you. His love just, it doesn't even make sense. It's so ridiculous. We can't fully earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't repay it. But God says it's a free gift through Jesus Christ and that's what Easter's about. And if this morning as we're praying right now, you're at a point in life where you're ready to make a commitment, and I mean a heart commitment, a life commitment that says, man, I need God. I need to accept that ridiculous love he has for me. I'll figure it out along the way, and he's going to help me, but I need to make that first step just in saying yes to him. Then I want to pray with you right now as we make that first step together. I'm going to pray and lead you in a prayer. I'll pray the words out loud. You just pray them quietly in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud in front of all these people. It's a heart decision. God judges us on our hearts. After service, you can go and tell someone. You can own up to it. God would be blessed that you're not ashamed of him. But for right now, it's a heart issue. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer that basically is going to make your relationship right with God again. It's all about faith and what we believe in. And so I'm going to pray out loud, and I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. But before we do that, I'm going to ask you one thing, and that's just to let me know that you're going to be praying this with me, a simple prayer. I just want to know who I have the privilege of, of praying with this morning on this Easter Sunday that you're going to take that first step towards a ridiculous love of Jesus Christ. And so here's all I'm going to do. Everybody's got their eyes closed and their heads bowed. And if you're going to pray with me this prayer to really be all in and to say yes to God and all that he has for you, 
that you would let me know by raising your hand. I'm going to count to three, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand on three, real simple. And then we'll pray that prayer together, and then you'll be on your way to new life in Christ. On the count of three, would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Is there anybody here today? Can you hold it up? Just hold it up high so I can see it. I want to count you guys. I want to see. I see one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm looking around. Anybody else? Seven, eight. Looking around. Anyone else? Nine. Someone over there. Ten. Thank you, Father God, for those hands. I saw at least about ten people this morning. Eleven. Thank you, Lord. If that was you, just put your hands down. I just want you to pray this in your heart of hearts right now. As I pray it out loud, you just speak it to God in your heart. Mean it with all that you got. God, I'm here today, and I realize that I do need you. I realize that the, the whole story of Christianity and Easter is that you have a crazy, ridiculous love for me, and you're just reaching out so that I would respond, so that I wouldn't refuse this ridiculous love, that I would, I would say yes to all that you have for my life. Lord, I've done a lot of dumb things, and I've lived life on my own, and I'm, I, I got my own opinions and all of that, but Lord, I'm going to take a chance right now to believe that you have something better for me, to believe that Jesus died to give me eternal life and a relationship with you that starts now. And so, Lord, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart, I believe in you. I believe in the cross. I believe what happened. I believe, Lord, that you have my best interests in mind and you're going you're gonna to change my life forever. So because of that, I promise to follow you. Lord, I understand that without you, I, I don't have a chance at eternity and, and the love of Christ. As I say yes to you, Lord, you paid the price of the cross so that I could have a relationship with you. So, Lord, I choose to follow you by reading my Bible getting a Bible, reading it, going to church, learning about you, hanging out with the rest of the family of God and learning what it is to be a Christian. Lord, to get water baptized as a symbol of, of dying to my old self and, and being reborn a new creation in Jesus Christ. To accept the power of your Holy Spirit moving in my life. I don't even know what that looks like, but I need it, God. I need the help. I need some, some direction in life and some, some power, some reality, some miracles. I need you. But all that you have for me Right now, my answer is yes, God. I turn away from my life lived for myself. From here on out, I'm going to live for you. Thank you for being my God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for your ridiculous love for me. And in Jesus' name, the church says, amen. Amen. Can we praise God for those people right now? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Unreal.